Welcome again, lovely listeners. Today, I'm super excited because I am joined by the founder of the amazing organisation that is UK Astronomy. Ross Hopwen and his lovely wife, Francesca, started UK Astronomy in 2014. This volunteer charity group aims to make the hobby of astronomy, stargazing and general interest in space accessible to everyone, not just those with a higher education. So the aim of the organisation is to bridge the gap between one end of the field, which is professional astronomers, and then anyone that has sort of an interest, be that just learning about it or actually stargazing themselves. Through his tenacity and the support and interest of the community, they now have over 4,800 members of their Facebook group and host regular successful events. So welcome, Ross. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. So to get us started, normally I do um, like a quote or something to inspire the episode, but I thought I'd mix it up here because we've got a bit of a scientific and factual nature to your background. I've got a fact off the internet and you can tell me if this is wrong or right, but I thought it was quite inspiring. So when you're in a rural area at night and the moon isn't visible and you can see an absolute ton of stars, in those optimal circumstances, you're looking at about 2,500 stars at most. And that's about a billionth of the total stars in the galaxy. Is that right? Yeah, sounds pretty good to me. The rest of the stars you see in the sky are, are in our own galaxy. So you can't see any other stars outside of it. And you do really only see a very small amount of what's actually in the Milky Way. So the Milky Way is our galaxy. And it's about they, they reckon about 200 to 400 billion stars just in our galaxy. So we only see a few hundred thousand, if that. And with a telescope, you can see more because you see dimmer ones further away. But yeah, in the night sky itself, yeah, you can only see very, very small fraction, really, what's out there. I find that is just absolutely insane. And for me, that completely puts life into, into perspective. We're also concerned with such small things when actually, uh, and I'm totally guilty of sweating the small stuff, but there are much bigger things out there and we can only see a tiny portion of it. Oh, definitely. Uh, one of the things I love doing when I just go out there on my own, it's nice to go sometimes on your own, just with a telescope, which is literally just a mirror and a tube, that's it. And with that mirror, I'm looking, you know, billions of miles into space and looking at other stars and other galaxies that maybe there's other life there that don't even know we're here. So why am I worrying about all these little things <laughs> when, yes. there's, when there's galaxies out there with other worlds that we found who probably don't even care or know if we're here? <laughs> That is, yeah, it's a crazy, crazy thought. Do you think that process kind of grounds you throughout your daily life? Do you try and think about that regularly? Oh, definitely, yeah. I've always, I've started doing the astronomy. I, I look at our planet completely differently now. Like when I, I go out and I see the sun, I know how it moves in the sky now. I see that we're at a sort of angle compared to where the sky is. We're not straight and flat. <laughs> I can see where the planets are. I know that Venus is up at the moment and it's, you know, we're kind of, to a sort of like probably like 45 degree angle compared to how it's moving and then when you look at the galaxy you're looking at the arm of a galaxy so you're almost flipped another way so it just flips everything round and round to where you think you are it's great i love it mad it's something that we always talk about on here or talk about regularly is perspective so that's a really really interesting take and i guess we talk about perspective more from internal aspects rather than applying to the whole galaxy but that's a really interesting take on it so now when we first met, you were well into your journey and presenting at a, a space-themed event that Ruth, a uh, previous guest of the podcast, had put on. 
Now, I was immediately drawn in by such clear passion from you both, but mainly you, Ross, as well, because I saw you present um, to the audience as well and delivering your passion and information. How did you ignite such a passion and how do you keep it going? Uh, well, <laughs> I didn't actually know I had this passion. It was my wife who started it. So she bought me a little telescope. It was only about 50 pounds, if that, little tabletop thing. And uh, it was for my birthday. And I didn't use it for a month or two. I was kind of like, yeah, I'm into it. But, you know, there wasn't any passion there. I wanted to see some stuff. I'm interested in science and space. I always have been. And then one day I thought, right, I'll buy a magazine. So I bought an astronomy magazine, opened it up. I read that Jupiter was meant to be up in the sky. And I thought, no way. I'm not going to be able to see this planet in my garden in Milton Keynes, which is heavily light polluted. And if I do, I won't see it. It'll just be a blob, a little white blob or something. So I thought, oh, I'll go and have a look. Took it out into the garden put it on my bench, looked through it, tiny telescope. I could see the planet, not only the planet, but there were four white dots in a line as well. And now it's moons. So with this tiny telescope, I could see a planet and its moons. And that was it. From there, something just went bang. And I went out and bought a like 500 pound <laughs> ridiculous big white Dobsonian scope, which are quite big. If you Google them, they're massive. And yeah, it just, I don't know, it just hit me then, this passion from nowhere. Nice. Awesome. I was reading a, a bit about your history or um, how you started as well. So what, wasn't it that you were approached in a field when you were you had your telescope and someone approached you? Is that right? In the middle of a field? Yeah, yeah, completely true. There was a uh, an eclipse. So the moon was moving in the way of the sun and I bought a filter. Now, I have to, I have to say here as a disclaimer, never look at the sun with a telescope because it will burn your eyes out. <laughs> if you get special gear or you're with me, because I'm professional now apparently, you can look at it. So yeah, I was sat in a field in the middle of the day with a telescope and uh, watching the moon slowly go in front of the sun. And this uh, lady came out from a pavilion who was there and she brought me a coffee and a cake. And just oh, asked, that's sweet. Yeah, bless her. She just asked me what I was doing. So I told her and she was like, oh, can I have a look? So I let her have a look at it and she was like, oh, that's amazing. You can actually see like the moon going across it. This is cool. And she went, you should, you should do something here. You should do a talk or something. And that was it. That's where it started. But it didn't start easily because <laughs> mm. uh, I, did, I did five events to start off with and I did just stargazing nights because I thought, I don't know anything about astronomy. I don't think I can do a talk. Mm. And I didn't want to look stupid <laughs> in front of people because I thought if I do it, professionals are going to turn up and I'm just going to be you know, a random guy who I didn't even call myself an astronomer then. So the first the first three events, no one turned up to. Uh, then I decided to do a weekend event, which is a Friday and Saturday night, because Frankie, my wife, was away. And I thought, surely one of these nights would be clear and someone would turn up. No one did, because it was torrential rain of thunderstorms both nights. <laughs> oh, wow. But I didn't give up. I put posters up all around Olney, which is a little town down the road, which is where the pavilion's based, Emberton and Olney. I just literally went around all the streets, printing my own stuff up. And in the sixth event, I had 12 people turn up, but I had to do a talk. So I was terrified. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely terrified. But I stood there with my piece of paper, handshaking. Frankie was on the computer, changing the slides <laughs> with her hand. So, yeah, looking back at those days, I think, wow, that's mad. How we've the like, growth and how far you've come. Yeah. And, and for me myself, like, I hate standing up and talking in front of people. Now I love it. Now oh, it's, it's one of my, it's almost like my, the thing I'm most scared of has become the thing I'm best at. It's really weird. 
That is insane. And what an achievement to turn a fear into your favourite thing. Yeah, I think afterwards, like, I did a couple. And when I, afterwards, I was kind of my worst enemy because I was sitting there going, oh, I don't think that went well and I don't think this went well. But then like, my friends came along to support me and like Frankie did. And they were like, no, you were really good. And they said it was good because I stood there and I said who I was and was honest. I went, look, my name's Ross. I'm a random guy. I picked up a telescope, you know, about two months ago. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I hope, you know, <laughs> I will entertain you. And, you know, please talk to me as well as we're standing there and, you know, get the crowd going a bit because they might know more mm. than me. And yeah, now I, now I really like it. Good. Amazing. It's like you almost set the expectations as well. So people knew exactly you couldn't be criticised or judged on something that they expected because you'd already forewarned them. Yeah, I was sitting there thinking, if you sit there and, you know, say you're a professional and you get someone to pay £5 to come and watch you talk, they're going to be expecting someone mm. good, aren't they? And they know what they're talking about. It's going to be scripted and ready and they've done it before. Whereas if I just stand there and go, you know, I'm a random guy. I'm here chatting because I've got a passion. If you want to put a quid in the pot for a donation towards the charity, you're more than welcome. And that way they don't feel any, you know, they can't really criticise you, can they? Because it's... If they do, <laughs> they're a little bit, it's a little bit out of order in a way. Because they're like, oh, this poor yeah. guy is just here telling about his passion. But yeah, no, everyone enjoyed it. So I was really proud. Good. And it all went all went on from there as well. So yeah. those, the first five events where you had sort of problems or people didn't turn up, it didn't discourage you, you carried on. Yeah, no, no, I, I just, I sat there and my main aim was just to meet people to go and do stargazing with. That's all I wanted. So I wasn't expecting to, you know, start a charity. I wasn't expecting to, you know, be the person there talking. I was hoping that maybe I'd do one. Other people would just meet me and they were just going to do stargazing. But it ended up, you know, five years down the road, I'm now standing up in front of whole schools. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Especially schools as well. I think kids is a tough one to talk to. If there's any sort of crowd that will judge you or tell you how they'll feel, it'll be kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're brutal. They, they don't Not, hold they back, prove do they? Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, awesome. So you, you mentioned earlier um, about considering yourself an astronomer. When did you sort of bridge that gap? Because something I think that's so crucial at the moment and, and talked about is uh, imposter syndrome mm -hmm. so when did you feel that you were actually part of the astronomical community and could consider yourself was there a, a certain moment or did other people sort of approve that for you I think it was I think it was more other people than myself because I think it was when I'd say the point where it was is probably where I wanted to learn from other people and find out how to do it because I didn't know, really know what I was doing so I was kind of teaching myself if I found a problem I'd then go right why isn't this working ah this right, I can't see that, why? We'll look up it, read it, ah, oh, that's why. We're not in orbit close enough and all these sorts of things. I started learning about the atmosphere and everything that goes with it and using filters on eyepieces as well, which apparently bring out more you know, more bits on planets and things you can see. And it was when people then started coming along to the talks and asking me questions and I knew the answers. So I was then helping them and going, yeah, okay, cool, yeah, well, I've done this. This is what you do. You do this, 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 and that. Oh, where's this in the sky? Oh, it's just there. Look, if you look there, that's Jupiter. That's the Pleiades. That's blah, blah, blah. And then already I'm kind of like naturally just kind of grew into that. And then that's where I sat there and thought, yeah, I'm actually an astronomer now. I'm teaching other people. So to me, I think if you go and teach someone else, that's an astronomer because you're, you know, you're showing other people things that are out there. I think that was my, my gap there that I bridged. 
Nice. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, definition, actually, when you can train or help someone else learn. You almost become the the student and master, if that makes sense, and swaps places. Yeah, yeah, strange, because I never really thought about it. It just happened, you know, it mm. happened naturally through, you know, I always say like this whole charity really was kind of pushed by whoever turned up, like the public, like someone would say, oh, do you want to go and teach a school? I'd be like, yeah, okay. And the fact that I never really said no, even though I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to talk in front of like 500 kids. Right. What am I going to do? (laughs) I always said yes. And I think that made me grow as a person and get to where we are today. Just, you know, I I love doing it. (laughs) Good. Good. Are you you happy with the growth as well? Because obviously you didn't see this taking off as much as it did or, you know, becoming your project um, or for your life. Are you happy with the direction it's gone in? Is there anything you look back on and go, I wish it didn't happen that way? Uh, not really. No, we've had, it's gone, it's, it's gone the right way. Cause in my head, I was at the beginning, all I, as I said, all I wanted to do was stargazing and go out and do that. Now I actually prefer going and doing the talks and teaching people than going out and doing stargazing, which is strange. So we've had, you know, through all of it, Going from just being, you know, a husband and wife to then, right, hang on a minute, people are starting to donate, what do we do with this? Then, right, okay, people are asking to volunteer, what do we do with this? Okay, people we want to be trustees, okay, what do we do with that? So as people have come in with all these different things and it's grown, we've then had to sit there and go, right, how do we deal with this? What do we do with that? Now we need a constitution, now we need to look, money's coming in, so what do we have to do with the money? We have to be careful with that, make sure it's you know, we're registered and taxed and all that stuff and insured and grow that way. And yeah, the path has gone the right way for us. We've had we've had ups and downs. We've had trustees come in, try and make it go the way they want, which is the more professional, not teaching kids and things. And I was like, no, 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 I like the I like the families and the kids side of it. That the real beginners who don't really know anything have a telescope perhaps for Christmas and they don't know what to do with it. That's my to get them to go out and see a planet that's what I love about it that's my drive mm. so yeah we, we've had we've had people coming in and going and all sorts of stuff like that ups and downs but you know we just sit there and go I always say to Frankie kill them with kindness <laughs> be kind about everything be nice and you know just make sure they don't bully you into doing what they want do what you believe in and what you believe is right which is the path we've taken I hope it seems to be going okay <laughs> I love that and you've you've faced it together as well, which is really nice. Um, you've had each other throughout it. Um, and b- back to sort of what you're saying about um, your main passion is sort of teaching the kids that maybe got a telescope for Christmas and don't know how to use it. Do you think part of that is because you feel like you're possibly impacting the future generation in terms of they might one day be astronomers and discovering the uncharted territories sort of that you can look at and see and dream about? Oh, yeah, massively. In, uh, when I do the talk, right at the very end, I actually say to them uh, that, you know, you can be in your garden, you'll find this little little dot in the sky that's with all the stars. And it's either going to be, if there's a dot the next night, if it moves in relation to all the other stars, it's either, it could be like a, a minor planet, dwarf planet, asteroid. If it's a little bit fuzzy, it could be a comet. And I was like, if you see that and it's not on an app you've got, or you, you know, you look and you ask people, you email me, our email, it's at the British Astronomical Association. If it's not on their charts, then you've discovered it. And then that means that you can have your name on it for the rest of you know eternity. There'll be a piece of rock with your name on it flying through space forever. Amazing. And that's what I love about it. Someone in their garden can just go out and do it. And, and kids have. Kids have found, I mean, Pluto is named by a kid. 
won a competition. Really? She, oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was a girl. She won a competition and named it Pluto. It wasn't because of the Disney dog. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually a uh, a god, apparently. She was into her sort of like Norse and Greek mythology and things. And yeah, they gave her some money and she put it towards her society, I believe, and brought a telescope and stuff. So she's going to be remembered through history. And all the comets and everything up there have people's names on because they're the ones who discovered them. So, you know, okay. imagine a kid just doing that. Brilliant. Mm. That is insane. And it's such a good um, mindset as well. The fact that and a really good example that anyone truly can get involved in this and achieve in it. Is there anything up there with your name on it? No, not yet. Unfortunately, <laughs> well, well, I'd like, unofficially, yes. Okay. <laughs> not officially, because someone did buy us a star, which doesn't really exist. It doesn't really mean anything. There is a catalogue, but, it, you know, it's in, in the professional world. They always just say, oh, no, it's a rip-off. It's just people getting money out of you. But yeah. someone bought us one. They called it the Happy Hockham Star because it's when we're getting married. So there's a oh. star up there called Happy Hockham's, and we've got where it is and all the stuff that goes with it. But I always say, people do it in the group all the time, on Facebook group, post it in there. And I always say, right, if it's inspiring a kid to go and look for their star and look up, or maybe think about a loved one, or, you know, something cool to have on your wall, why not? Why not? Does it matter you pay 20 quid maybe? 20 quid for that to inspire someone to do something or remember someone. It doesn't matter, does it, in the end of the day? So you may not own the star. <laughs> you might not be able to go there in the future and say, this is my star, I own all the planets here. But, you know, if you inspire someone, who cares? It's good fun. Definitely. I completely agree to that. I think it's not the the means, it's more of the, the result. And like you say, if it makes someone happy or results in inspiration that someone comes um, moves forward with their education in astronomy and leads them to greater things, then by all means, I'm for it. Some see it as a con, some can see it, you know, however they want to see it. Yeah, it comes in different ways, doesn't it? You don't, if you buy something, you don't have to physically own it. If it makes you feel a certain way, emotional, good, or happy about yourself, it's money well spent then, isn't it? Why not? That's why we watch telly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't get anything from it really, apart from feelings. Yeah, no, that's very true. Very true. Um, and then in terms of like qualifications and things like that, so obviously you are very sort of learning as you go, as you've said, um, solving problems along the way and et cetera. Do you have any plans to take it to a formal kind of level? Uh, not for myself, no. I'm not going to lie. I did try and do a course online once, but it bored me. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say it. I was kind of reading it and I was like, this is really boring. This is the kind of like, I like the scientific stuff behind it, but when it starts going into astrophysics, it goes a little bit, wow, this is mad. And it goes a bit more into math and data as opposed to actually seeing objects and learning what they're made of and things. Mm -hmm. So when it gets to math and data, that loses me. It's like the uh, astrophotography side of it. So you can go out, take loads of people tend to, it's like a, a special webcam. They stick it on their telescope. It takes thousands of frames squashes them all together and puts out a really cool picture but that you need to spend about two or three hours on a computer fiddling around with it all changing data changing bars to make light come in and out and different elements appear i can't be bothered with all that mm. i just sit there and i it bores me <laughs> it's really bad but other people they love that side of it that's their their tinkering and playing around and all computers and technology so for me the actual if there was a 
a way of just doing the stargazing bit, you know, just going out, right, do a project on the moon, how the moon moves in the sky or when its phases are, or a project of what's up in the sky, where are they, what are they, that I would love and that I would do. But no, no, for me, unfortunately, the professional side, I just don't know, just start finding it boring when it starts going into, you know, like when you're at school and you love science, but then they talk about photosynthesis for like hours yeah. and you're just like, yeah. The one thing I remember at science lessons at school is if it was an experiment, then interest peaked and everyone was hands on, yeah. practical kind of thing. But then when it came to the theory and the write up, mm, less hands show <laughs> to do that. I think uh, to me, you strike me as a sort of practical person and more of a get out there, do that. Um, I'm definitely the same. So I, I don't have formal education in, in what I do either. I very much learned on the job. And I think that sometimes that's completely applicable for the kind of roles. And certainly what you've built, it completely works um for your systems and and your gains um for me i did an apprenticeship so i literally learned on the job the event skills and i think for many industries it is it is right to learn practically in the environment than it is to to learn in a classroom i think there's too much emphasis on sort of degrees nowadays and and not about practical skill oh definitely like like my job day jobs i'm a firefighter Mm. so i work in london and when i did my training there it's 15 years ago now i try to remember it uh, it was all all the theory side of it. You did the practical as well, but it's all kind of, it's drills. It's not real life, if you know what I mean. So you know exactly what window you're going to have a ladder, exactly how high that ladder has to be to get in that window because you've done it 10, 11, 12, 13 times in a row. Then you get to station, actual station life, and you know how to use all the tools and everything, but you have absolutely zero experience of what it's like to actually be out there doing you know car crashes fires completely different the windows aren't exactly the same height and distance as that last ladder you did for you know 30 40 times at training school so it took me i would say it took me at least five years in the brigade to fully get experienced up from learning on the job to then be able to actually sit there and be like yeah i think i'm confident now i can deal with almost every situation hopefully if i have to but even then 15 years later new things happen is, is always something that comes along. So I think on the I think on the job experiences are really I think it's probably more important than you know just learning from a book. Mm. I guess with learning in like a classroom or a controlled environment as you would have, there's a level of predictability. You know, like you said about how long your ladder is, what the sort of window height is. Whereas in the real world, it's not predictable and it's not controlled. So five years is a, a massive amount of time but I, that completely makes sense to me to in terms of being able to put yourself in all of the scenarios and etc yeah it's just probably just because of my job because we deal with like everything we deal with like you can go from chemicals to you know horses that have fallen over and need you know picking up and things like that to fires car crashes pretty much anything that happens we end up going to half the time so it's such a broad range of things that, you know, you might not have had a horse that's, you know, jumped and trapped someone. So you go there, you turn up and you go, ah, I've not dealt with this before. I remember reading and, you know, you, I've been trained on some of the notes we've got, the op notes, operational notes and things like that and bits we read and learn. But then you've got someone else there who's done 30 years and has maybe had two or three of these already. So you kind of follow suit with them. So you know what you're doing, but he's got the experience to show you how to do it, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And then he's rubbing that off onto me. And then I can teach the new recruits that are coming in now. So it all kind of gets filtered back down, which I think works really well. Mm. 
I think you've got a great attitude towards sort of learning and transitioning skills. I think there's a lot to be said about learning the theory, but then transitioning to practical. So it's it's good that you had those mentors, as you mentioned, in both areas, both astronomy and um, firefighting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Is there any skills? Uh, those are sort of possibly complete opposite careers. Is there anything, any skills you transition between the two? Is there anything that helps you in firefighting that you've learned from stargazing or vice versa? Oh, that's a tough question now. <laughs> well, one of the good things is getting around in the dark. Because <laughs> obviously as a firefighter, I go in and I have to, when you're trained to not be able to hear or see. So it's all mm. done by feeling and sweeping and stamping as you go around so you don't fall through, fall through floors or get tangled up in wires and things like that. So I'm quite used to going around without being able to, with like my senses all dulled. Mm-hmm. So out in a field in the dark <laughs> with a telescope, <laughs> it probably helps me quite a bit. Especially so, an expensive telescope yeah, that you exactly, don't want yeah. to trip over with. You're walking along there and you think, right, where did I put all my stuff? Don't trip over that. <laughs> so yeah, that's probably, and maybe my, uh, my, my vision, because they say the more you go out and look at the sky and the more you do your, your night vision sort of thing with your eyes, the better you get at it. Mm-hmm. So perhaps from the job as well, that's transitioned in a bit because people do say that I can see things that they can't. <laughs> I go, look, see that little star there? They're like, what star? Like that one there? The one that's moving? It's a satellite. Look, 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 look. No, I can't see it. Like, no, look there, <laughs> there. So maybe that's, you know, or I don't know if maybe it's age or, <laughs> or whether it is. Well, maybe I've transitioned something across. I was always told to eat carrots as a kid and that would improve your, help me see in the dark. But I think that's just a wife's tale. <laughs> I think I think that stemmed from, they reckoned it was uh, the RAF during World War II. Oh, okay. They reckoned that because we ate a lot of vegetables and that, because we were, they, they were rationed and things, they thought that the uh, the British were good at flying at night and shooting down the planes at night because they ate a lot of carrots, apparently. Whether oh, that's a enough. wife's tale, I don't know, but it's just something. <laughs> so that bit of random science is in my head. <laughs> yeah. Well, everything has a sort of factual origin or like, actually, that's really interesting. All of these sort of phrases that we have, I love looking at the origin of where they come from. So thanks for sharing that. So in back to sort of the ast- astronomy side of things, have you ever been called out because you are um, self-educated or has anyone ever sort of challenged anything that you've presented? Uh, not not physically, no, not out when I'm actually doing the talks. But I have had, I had a bit like through the five years of doing it, I've had a lot of people, uh, I hate to say make enemies. It's not really making enemies, but people, some people don't like me now. <laughs> and I don't know why, because all I did was try and just get it out there to families and stuff. But what happened was, is uh, when I first started, there was another, another group and I joined it because I didn't really know much about stuff. And, uh, they, they said they're a new society, they're open for beginners and things like that. And so I joined it and thought, oh, I might learn from these guys, I might find something out. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I was a member for about a couple of weeks, three weeks. So I was getting a feel of them, who they were. They seemed fine, didn't have a problem. And uh, I had an app on my phone that tells you if uh, there's sort of activity on the sun. And if there's a lot of activity, you can get uh, solar flares coming our way and you can see the northern lights, like the aurora. Hmm. And sometimes when it's really heavy, it can get pushed down to sort of like Scotland and almost down to where we are. So I posted it in the group and just said, you know, it looks really high tonight. People are saying you might be able to see it sort of thing and kind of pretty much just went on and said, is this true? And they all shot me down. They all went, oh, no, you, 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 we want factually correct things on here. It's not proper, blah, blah, blah. No, you're wrong, blah, blah, blah. And were quite like short and sharp with me. 
And I mm-hmm. thought, oh, I, was, I, was, I went on there. I went, oh, sorry, guys. I was, like, I, was just, I was just asking. I was like, I'm a beginner. And I said, to be honest with you, the way you kind of attacked me, I was like, I, I don't think this is the right group for me anymore. So mm-hmm. I left. And then literally about two hours later, the main admins who did it all messaged me saying, oh, we're really sorry, Ross. You were right. It is happening. We looked it up. It is correct. You know, come back, please. We, we apologize, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't really want to. I know it sounds bad, but I was like, the way I've, the way you treated me and the way I saw that, I was like, I'd never want that to happen. Mm-hmm. So like in our Facebook group now, we make sure that if someone asks a question, it was, there's no silly question or stupid question at all. So if anyone asks anything in there, everyone answers it no matter what, all politely, all nicely. No one calls them stupid or makes them feel stupid. So yeah, that, that was probably my first ever sort of, oh, hang on a minute. And yeah, mm. I, I do tend to find that the high professional people, they talk down to you. I don't think mm. they mean to. I think it's just the kind of how they are. They just, they're very factual and just say it. They don't think about people's feelings or emotions. Well, first of all, I don't even think you were wrong to not want to go back to the group. I think that's completely unacceptable. And when you're saying your Facebook group, um, you know, there's no stupid questions and no one's to be called stupid. I think those are just rules for life that we're all forgetting at the moment, to be honest. Um, And I also think that that sort of comes with trolling culture. It's interesting to me when you said that you didn't face anything in person. It was more sort of online. I think that people were nowadays are more than comfortable to sort of hide behind their online persona and type out their reaction on a keyboard. But I don't think anyone would comfortably say that to you in person because they'd be too ashamed because it is, you know, too rude and and offensive. So, yes, online strange, isn't it? Because I see it a lot. There's a lot of people. They're quite happily. Was it they say troll people, don't they, and things like mm. that. And like some of the things I see people say that I think, wow, I would never say anything like that. And I was like, you know, this is public, yeah? You know, everyone can see this, and this is who you are. You're coming across as this sort of person. I was like, and everything that's said on there is on there for good. So people can look back in the past and things, and you know, you think, I'm very like, I like Facebook, I love the group and everything we've got and how we chat on there. But whenever I say anything, I'm always aware that, you know, this is me and everyone can see it, including maybe my work, including my family, things like that. And I think, no, just what's wrong with you? Mm, <laughs> like, why no, can't people just be nice to each other? Why do, yeah. they, why do they have to argue out and like be horrible to each other on there? I don't get it. Just ignore it. Don't. There's no need to respond if you don't agree with it then, you know, move on. Just, (laughs) I think people would be happier in life if they just chose to not start arguments online and ignore content that wasn't applicable to them. Yeah, exactly. I always say it to my wife all the time when she sits and goes, oh, someone's kicking off in the group, someone's doing this, someone's doing that. And I I always go, right, go in there. As I said before, kill them with kindness. Be nice about them. Try and explain to them maybe, look, you said this about their picture. The way it's come across sounds like you're criticising or you said it's rubbish said remember this is this might be the person's first ever picture they've ever done with like a phone or something mm. like that you don't know their history you don't know who they are and i was like just be nice just say great picture and then give them some advice advise them right have you tried doing this with your phone this might help that's how you do it that's how you talk to mm. people but yeah yeah I, I love the group but wow it can be taxing <laughs> yeah at times, sometimes you sit there and you're like, every Frankie goes, someone's kicking off. You're like, oh, yeah. The earth Time is to break not up flat. The, the earth is not flat. We have landed <laughs> on the moon. 
Brilliant. Uh, not conversations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I love so, it. I love it. 90% all good as yeah. well. You just get the odd bit, don't you, here and there. Yeah, completely. And I suppose that you couldn't really facilitate what, you, well, possibly it would have been harder to facilitate what you have facilitated without Facebook, because it sounds like that was the sort of core starter of bringing everyone together and the means. Yeah, yeah. The Facebook group was the main thing at first. Is the That's when it, because I mean, when it got started, when you had 30 of my friends joined and that was it. <laughs> I don't think they're members anymore. <laughs> when it left. <laughs> But yeah, did I think, it for PR. I think now we've got how much have you got now? About five thousand seven hundred. Yeah, it's five thousand seven hundred oh, today wow. now, just because uh, I think on the website it might be less because we didn't update it. Oh, okay. But so yeah. the number I quoted at the start. Wow. So you've you've added a thousand on top of that. That's insane. Yeah, I think a, a lot have joined recently, obviously because of the current climate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody's at home, and uh, so <laughs> yeah, and, and all our events have been postponed or cancelled at the moment, which is mm. fine because most of them were free ones anyway. We did out there, so we're not suffering too much from it at all. But uh, I've I decided right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do an I spy in the garden sky. So mm. now I do little things like that, post them out into the groups where people are in lockdown and things like that. So they're actually going outside into their gardens and looking at the space station or Venus or little bits and bobs that are happening. So. They feel like they're not stuck in and locked down. They actually are out and doing things. Wonderful. So you've like, again, shown such tenacity and sort of diversified and again, sort of inspired because it is so difficult, I guess, to stargaze when you can't really go outside. But, you know, your whole mantra is that you can do it in your back garden. So that's great. Yeah, it's it's kind of luck, really, that (laughs) our motto was because there's a billion worlds in your back garden and now... The back garden is all we have <laughs> yes. for a little while. Yeah, well, that ties into the brand nicely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So would you sort of agree on some level that your overall aim is to sort of help people to break down expectations um, within sort of this area of expertise? Yeah, definitely. I must admit, when I used to walk around and put the posters up when I first started and like did all the, the little ones at Emberton, people started recognising me going in and they used to say, oh, you're the astronomy guy. They'd be like, oh, we thought you'd be older. Because the expectation of an astronomer is like something like Patrick Moore or someone who, you know, an, an old, grey-haired, eccentric kind of person. Not, you know, I'm, I'm only 37, which I think is quite young still at the moment. <laughs> but I've, I'm not an old, eccentric, grey person. I probably will be in about 40 years' time. <laughs> but they kind of look at me and I think they think, oh, he's a bit young to be an astronomer. They always think of a certain, you know, stereotype. Mm. so you know when i turn up and i'm mucking about with the kids and being silly and fun with them and throwing little fun jokes about the the planet that should not be named (laughs) and things like that they that's that's not usually what you kind of get is it so it's Mm. kind of it is breaking sort of the boundaries between and they always say people always say about us that we're really good at breaking things down to a level so that people can understand it so if a kid asks me about gravitational waves or something like that, which they do, because I don't know where they read this stuff, but they learn all this stuff, I have to now explain to him how gravitational waves work. So you have to break it down to mm. you know their level. And I love doing that. I don't know why, because I read all books about, as I said, the astrophysics sort of side of it. I get it, but <laughs> I don't understand all of it, and I don't think many people can. Yeah. But then to try and break that down to a kid like about how gravity works. So you just go, right, there's a mattress, you've got a cannonball on it, and then you roll a marble around there. The marble goes around the cannonball. And that's that's gravity. That's an orbit, pretty much. That's how it can kind of work. And a kid can 
get that because they know what a cannonball is. They know what a mattress is. And they know that it will make a dip sort of in the bed. So it brings mm. it down to their level. So breaking that sort of thing up, yeah, yeah. Works. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and something we always ask on this podcast as well. So what is your personal definition of the word perfection? Because we hear sort of all sorts and about this sort of unmeetable goal that is perfection. And I'd like you to talk about sort of if you think the word perfect is is good or bad. <laughs> well, if everything was perfect, we wouldn't be here. Nothing would be here. Because when the Big Bang happened, it created matter and antimatter. And there was more, slightly more matter than there was antimatter. So it was imperfect, an imperfect balance. When matter and antimatter meet each other, they just explode into pure energy and there's nothing else left. That's it. But because all this matter was left over, because there was anti, not as much antimatter, it created all of us. We are all made out of this matter. So if perfection was real, we wouldn't be here. So we are all imperfect. So to me, I don't think it exists. I think it's something that someone wants to be or tries to be, but it's impossible. You can't, you can't, you can't be perfect <laughs> ever, no matter what. Nothing's perfect. I think this the, that is the best and most factual description we've ever had. That is so brilliant. I literally, <laughs> I couldn't have hoped for anything better. Literally, there you go, scientific, on the record, we are all imperfect because that's that's just matter. Yeah, we, we are matter. So, yeah, go and have a look it up, I, Google it. I'm pretty sure it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I have no reason to ask that question to guests anymore because, you know, solved, podcast yeah, over. You wouldn't be here. <laughs> that's it. Sorry, I've just ruined the whole thing for you. <laughs> no no not at all um and then just to finish us off i always sort of ask uh light-hearted questions to the guests so um what is the most imperfect thing that you have done uh the most imperfect thing well i'll talk about uh on my honeymoon we uh, went to charmouth and i took my telescope because i was allowed <laughs> as i do and uh my wife used to go there because she used to love the fossil coast and all that stuff as a kid so we thought we'd go there for the honeymoon i went out for one night and I was looking at the galaxies and everything, all this, you know, to me, all this stuff that looked perfect and perfection was just amazing. Uh, I decided I needed to go to the loo, as you do. So out in the field, went to the toilet. As I was doing it, the whole field lit up in front of me. And I looked up at the sky and as I turned, still going to the toilet, I saw this huge fireball flying across the sky, like popping and bursting, lighting everything up green. Oh my God. So to me, it was the, it was kind of the most perfect imperfect moment <laughs> because I was I was having a wee. <laughs> and whenever I tell the story, I have to say yes, I was having a wee. <laughs> yeah, were you annoyed that you couldn't take a picture or yeah, record it, yeah, or were you happy yeah. that you sort of experienced it? <laughs> no, it's, it's in my mind, and it always be there, and I'll, I'll never forget. Yeah. That. So yeah, I always say, always whenever you go outside, always look up because you never know what might be streaming across the sky. Brilliant, brilliant. And then what was the most perfect thing? The most perfect thing? Oh, I don't, I don't really know anything perfect. <laughs> I think for me, if it, like perfect night, crystal clear skies. I go out in my car with my telescope. I sit by, a, there's a place that I go, it's called Great Moor Sailing Club. They've got a nice lake there. And I kind of sat there watching the sunset. I love twilight for some reason sunsets mm. then i start seeing all these stars start coming out and i just feel completely at ease and chilled and with no worries and just sit there thinking wow you know what this planet is awesome 
I love it. And that's probably perfection for me, as close as you can get to it, sitting there like that and then knowing that I can use my telescope to then gaze through the Milky Way. Just absolutely love it. Brilliant. Brilliant. What a wonderful imagery to end us on. Ross, thank you so much for joining us. And if people want more information, um, I know they can visit ukastronomy.org and you're also obviously on Facebook, as we've talked about, um, and also Instagram account. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. All there. We've also got an email. So it's info at ukastronomy.org. So you can just give us an email there. And everything's on the website anyway. So just pop to the website and yeah, see what you can find. Go and get a telescope. <laughs> And I know that events are currently postponed, but um, there's an event section of the website. So when everything gets back to normal, do go and visit these guys at their events because they are truly exceptional and you never know what you might see in the sky. Ross, thank you so much again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Enjoyed myself. Ta.